You're listening to Grace and Fire, brought to you by Emerging Women. Today my guest is Christina Rasmussen. Christina is a best-selling author, speaker, and philanthropist on a crusade to change the way we live after loss. As the founder of Second Firsts and Life Starters, both organizations to help people create a pathway back to life after loss, Christina has helped thousands of people rebuild, reclaim, and relaunch their lives using the power of the human mind. Her book of the same name, Second Firsts, Live, Laugh, and Love Again, is helpful not just for loss, but for all periods of transition in our lives. In today's episode, Christina and I spoke about the loss that she has experienced in her life and the new duality she learned about the grieving process, the dangers of becoming comfortable in what she calls the waiting room after loss or transition, and how to come out of it. The difference between transformational lessons learned versus unwanted mapping of brain patterns and how to avoid the latter. Can you experience transformation without grief or loss? And finally, advice she has for those who are merging out of challenging transitions. Here is my conversation, Second Firsts, A Path to Deep and Lasting Joy, with the joyful and strong Christina Rasmussen. Well, hello and welcome to Christina Rasmussen. How are you? Hi, I'm great and excited to be here with you. Great. I'm very excited about our conversation. And I know that we've been kind of keeping in touch a little bit. And what's interesting to me is that your recent book called Second Firsts, Live, Laugh, and Love Again, is about loss. And yet every time I see you whether it's on Facebook or I'm reading your blog or there's an exchange, it feels like you are someone who, how could you have experienced any loss? You're always laughing. You're always joyful. And, <laughs> um, and so I, I was just feeling joy when I was anticipating our calls. So, um, so I think we should start with that. Thank you. No, and start with uh, joy. And, and people always are surprised when... They do hear my story, but I think the surprising thing, and I was I was speaking over the weekend to a large uh, group of uh, people who have gone through a lot of tragedy, and I think um, when people walk into the room uh, getting ready to hear me speak, the last thing they expect is laughter, and I am really good at making people laugh and, and have hope and experience uh, a brand new way of thinking. My um, life turned upside down exactly eight years ago. Actually, Chantal, it will be eight years um, in a few days when my husband, at age 35, um, passed away um, from colon cancer. And I have to say, what I didn't know then was that I, I died with him. The person I was... The identity, the woman that I was, uh, ceased to exist the moment he died. But nobody told me that that was going to happen. Nobody told me that I could never go back to the life that I had before. And um, and that was the most traumatic and uh, life-changing experience that 
I had to not not reinvention is not even a word. It actually doesn't even do it justice. I had to give birth to myself. I had to um, start from scratch, and um, unfortunately, I didn't start the day after he died. I started years later, and in my quest um, to help people start over, I stumbled upon um, a place that um, is situated between two lives, the life we leave behind for whatever loss we experience and the life that we're yet to have. And we think that place in between that I call the waiting room. Haven't we heard people say, just give it time. Whatever it is you're going through, just just wait. Isn't that <laughs> and annoying? And people wait. I have yeah, to say, oh, it's so... <laughs> <laughs> don't wait. I want to say, wait, don't wait. Time does not heal. People say time heals. Another thing, another myth. And of course, Chantal, when I first coming out with with my vocabulary and my way of speaking, um, a very untraditional woman, people kind of shook their head and said, "What? What are you saying?" You know, and I, and I said, "Time does not heal, and waiting, waiting for your pain to feel more numb will not take you to your next story. Will not take you to your next life. Will not reinvent you." Um, and that's how I began. I began from the bottom, and I began um, trying to fit into a world that um, told me to wait and told me that I will never stop grieving and I will never be the same person. But but when they said that, they they meant that I will always be in pain, and that is not true, Chantal. Right. Just to give it a little context, were you close with your husband? Yes, he was the love of my life. Um, I always, when he died, I always used to say to people, I'm in love with a dead man. Um, we would hold hands. Uh, we had two small babies. Um, I mean, they were four and six years old when he died. And when he was diagnosed, they, uh, they were nine months and two and a half years old. And it was, um, the day of his diagnosis was uh, nearly as difficult as the day of his death. I threw up in the bathroom. I, you know, I, I, I cried. I cried for two weeks straight and I couldn't sleep. I was hyperventilating every single night. I had a brown bag around my mouth. Um, and he was asleep. Um, I wished it was me dying. Um, I couldn't imagine um, that my, when he was diagnosed, he was 31 and I was 30. Uh, when he died, he was 35. We fought. Um, he was diagnosed with stage four from the beginning, oh. which, as you know, is a terminal. Yeah. Uh, terminal stage um, they gave him at the time time six months and he was a fighter and I have every time uh, I have an obstacle in front of me um, people always say to me why are you so unstoppable I say ah, this is nothing yeah. <laughs> little business obstacle here and there <laughs> it's nothing in comparison to fighting for your life and seeing someone who wanted to live so much uh, hold right. on to to everything you know she could hold on to and so after he passed, so that, that really helps. Um, so after he passed away, you were told by people to just give it time, give it time. And, and that's, that's what you're referring to as the waiting room. I know in, in Buddhism, they call that the bardo. It's after, oh, yeah. after you've died and before you're reborn again and is mm -hmm. not considered in, in Buddhist theology. It's not a pleasant place. Not a pleasant. It's, you're dead, um, and you yeah. look as if you're alive, right? And it's um, 
I don't know. I think, and one thing that I, mean, I need to mention to the listeners and the, the people who've never come across my work is that, and I think that's going to come as a surprise. I don't know if you've read this about me, but um, I used to be a grief therapist before uh, my, my husband died, before he was diagnosed, before <laughs> any of this happened to me. Wow. And um, yeah. I studied grief. Um, I studied in England and my master's thesis. I, I have two postgraduate degrees. The first one was in counseling psychology, and uh, my master's thesis was of the stages of bereavement. I wanted to specialize in grief. I wanted to find out how it is to get people from terrible pain to, to life again. And um, I remember my professor telling me, you are going to study grief. You're so vibrant, you know. Right. <laughs> and I said, I... I'm the worst griever. I am the person who loves too much, and I am the person who suffers the most, and I want to know how how I can save myself and how I can save others from this terrible pain. And imagine, Shanda, I had no idea what was to happen after that. And not only I lost my husband later on, but our first child, um, our first um, daughter died uh, when she was born. She had a, a heart uh problem and uh, she didn't make it um oh. and i i say this in um you know i feel that that loss um i had to completely numb myself for i didn't want to feel anything i didn't want to wait i i was just in shock we were so young um and then he died and so you can imagine i'm like I wanted to scream at the universe, God, whatever it is we believe in, whatever is out there, the energy, and say, why me? you mm. got to be kidding me. Mm. What is going on here? What? I, I, I felt insane. I, I was a crazy. I'm still crazy because of, not because of the losses, but because of, of how I cho- choose to live my life every day. Um, but he, when he died, um, I didn't just ask why I, I just was blind. I couldn't see in front of me. Nobody, everything I was ever taught about grief was inaccurate. I walked into the grief world and I discovered duality. Everything looked the same on the outside and everything changed on the inside. And and then everyone feels sorry for you for, for the one thing that everyone's going to experience uh, there's shame around grief, uh, whether it's for divorce or uh, breakup or death or um, people don't like to talk about it. And it, it is not a cool mainstream topic. And I said, uh, if I ever make it back <laughs> to the living outside of the waiting room, the place in between two lives, I'm going to go back and get everyone else. And and I made some amazing discoveries, Chantal, in my journey, for sure. So why... It's interesting, this whole waiting room concept, because on one hand, it just feels like when you're in shock, you do need to have some Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there's that fine line where you're just paralyzed. And I'm curious to see what what can be done with that space of time, the waiting room, the bardo, the... And you said it so well and described it, the, the, the two different states of being there. So after your experience, and people who are listening today, they could go through, may have gone through a breakup, um, a job loss. By the way, job loss, 
huge loss. I, I wrote a blog about the walk of shame. Uh, right. I used to I used to be an HR business partner after um, my husband died. I went back to school to get another postgraduate degree in business, and I went and worked for a huge smart pharmaceutical company. And I walked uh, people out, uh, hundreds of people out. Um, there was a day that I walked out uh, a person every fifteen minutes for the whole day, huh. and. Yes, and that was part of the job, uh, not only to train managers and executives and, and uh, hire and retain and, uh, you know, help them with strategies, but when the time came to, um, uh, you know, um, let go of people, I was also that person. And I have to say, I've learned a lot about grief and loss through um, the experience of job loss and what happens to that person and identity. And, and so what I, people who are listening don't ever grief is not just a loss through death. Um, even the people who, who have gone through divorce, I had people write to me and say, Thank you for acknowledging our grief. And I was like, Really? Nobody's acknowledging your grief when you, when you get divorced, the person you're losing is dead for you and alive for everyone else. The worst right. grief uh-huh. and the shame that, and, and the silence uh, that comes with that. So the waiting room is a place we do go after loss, but what people don't realize is that most people think that that's their second chapter, their second first, as I would say. That's their, their new beginning. It's supposed to have pain, supposed to be complicated, you're supposed to wait, you're supposed to hang in there. And what happens to our brain, so the, my book is based on brain science, my process is called re-entry, which is also based on the ability of the brain to create new maps, a new way of thinking, a new way of living, and getting us out of that waiting room. But if we do not consciously start the walk out, we will get comfortable and stay there forever. And I, I, instead of finding people who have gone through just tragedy in that waiting room, I found millions of men and women who didn't have a tragedy, who didn't go through a divorce even, or job loss, but they just experienced loss many times and were never acknowledged. They were never aware of the mourning experience they had, and they are afraid to live life fully. They're afraid to 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 risk things. They're afraid to live on the edge. They're afraid to um, claim their destiny. So they create this very comfortable place that is between two lives. I call it the waiting room. And sometimes when I'm on stage, I, I talk about pottery barn living, you know, like there's a beautiful couch, a flat screen TV, and we get more and more comfortable in there. Our friends come and visit, and of course it's a metaphor, but at the same time, if we were able to look at our lives and and look at it and ask ourselves, is this my real life or just a waiting space? We can literally start the change and start plugging in. Um, one of my steps in my reentry process called plug it plug into the life that you want at 5%. And a lot of people always say, jump, leap, uh, take massive action. And after coaching thousands of men and women, I discovered that the worst thing you can do is um, activate the fear center of your brain. When that happens, people, when they jump and they're so afraid, sometimes they run back in the waiting room. They don't just go in, they go under the bed and hide even more. So at 5%, we actually slowly change our lives. Even if the first 5% is change your walls a different color, change your haircut, go to work a different way, that's changing the course of your life. 
that's getting you closer to your destiny, that's opening the door to the waiting room and getting out. And as you can tell, Chantel, I'm very passionate about this. And I'm um, here to literally free millions of people out of that place in between, not because they're not supposed to go there, but they're not supposed to stay there forever. Well, what's interesting about what you're talking about is, I mean, we're really not even talking about loss here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes. I, I appreciate yes. that we started talking about loss and you have experienced a boatload of, of loss, but yes. I feel that this, the stagnation that we feel in the waiting room and the the neuropathways and the engrams, so to speak, that our brains kind of groove into, I, I think that, you know, that happens early on, not just after loss, but doesn't that happen? I mean, yes. when we're yes. between the ages of one and six, I believe, or? Uh, it happens all the time and people have never acknowledged it. And I cannot tell you, I wish I could count the emails um, that I've received, thousands that said, I didn't know I was in the waiting room or people buying my book for a friend and that has gone through a loss and they opening it and then they can't stop reading because the book is not a memoir. It's actually about reentering. It is the reentry process and that reentry process I have found belongs to every single person because every single person at some point in time got, got into a comfort zone went somewhere to wait because they had an unpleasant experience, whatever that loss, grief, rejection, abandonment, um, loss of validation, no empathy experience that they had, whatever that was, got them into that waiting room. And then they never let leave. They never left. And they think they're living their life. They think they're having what they should have in, in, in this lifetime. But if they really look around, that's why my first step is let's get real. Because our brain is so automatic that it can fool you into believing that your life is great, that your life is exactly where it needs to be, because your thoughts become so automatic and you're driving on this massive big highway and never have time to exit the dirt road and go and look at the sunset. And again, I use metaphor a lot, whether I speak right, my blogs, it's the way I communicate and people are able to visualize their life through these metaphors. And I, people who are listening today, all I want to ask is get off the highway just for five minutes. See what new thoughts you have, new experiences. That 5% plug-in will shift you from the identity you created by accident through that one experience you may have had that puts you in one spot that you never left, that you think you've left, but you haven't. Um, and start seeing yourself in a different way. And, and when people realize they're in the gap between two lives, and it's a secret place. I really believe it. it. Nobody calls it the waiting room. They call it chapter two or this is what happened after this happened. But when people realize that's not their real life and their real life is right next, I even do a little, uh, I'm a very visual speaker, so I, I created it on right on stage. I said, this is where you need to be, but this is where you are. And your responsibility today is to find your way to this space, even if it's five minutes a day, even if it's one minute a day, and say, I just, and I have goosebumps, by the way. It doesn't matter how many times I talk about this. I feel it uh, because I see people cry. I see people shake their head. I see people realize for the first time that, that's not the life they're supposed to be living. They're supposed to be somewhere else. Okay. And that aha moment is the key to the lock of the right. waiting room. So here's my question. 
How do we know if we are in the waiting room? Oh, it's a great question. Um, You have to, I always say the minute we exit the waiting room is when we had an experience that was different to, to the experience we've had for the last, whatever time your life has been the same. I believe a routine, um, creating a routine is our um, need to feel safe and to feel like we know the future. We know how tomorrow is going to look. And that all happens subconsciously. So if you've been in a routine-based life every single day, if you look at your day and there's, there's no space for something unexpected, and if you ask yourself, when was the last time that something new happened to me? And I'm not talking about the big things here. People get so carried away with like a new boyfriend, new job, a new project. No, I'm talking about experiences, things that got you to not to be afraid, but to get you excited. Um, even a new, I don't know, a new haircut, dyeing your hair a different color, wearing something that you wouldn't normally wear. I mean, Speaking to someone new, using words that you've never used before. Like if you set out today to speak differently and to say things you've never said before, even if it shocks people, that's stepping out of the waiting room. And you have been in the waiting room for a long time if none of those things have happened in your life. Again, don't measure them with one of your last uh, relationship. When did you make a new friend? But the, the smallest things. We are here to evolve. We are here to change. And if you have not had a change in your life for a long time, and you're not living life, you're inside the waiting room. Okay. Now, what about, let's go back to this idea of, I'm just going to call it like a, a, a big transition in your mm-hmm. life. Um, I'm taking the, yeah. loss, the loss word out because it seems like this has a much broader context. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and there's a little trauma in transition. I know for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like every major transition yes. I've had, I've, it hasn't been grief filled, but there is some loss and some grief and there's transformation. And, and what about the idea that perhaps that needs to sit a bit and percolate and process through the body? I mean, do we not need some of that or do we just jump right in and start attacking those, you know, the, what you're calling the, I don't know, are you saying the neuropathways? Yes. Or the, yeah. So we, we absolutely do need that. Yes. That's the time when we tell our story. That's the time when we journal. Journaling, by the way, is huge. You know, people say, you know, it's good to write your feelings down and, and it sounds simple, but when we journal, our brain has the ability to become more aware of what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. So you're not just hearing an echo. You're, you're hearing what's going on. Mm-hmm. You're able to see what's happening. So, yes, it's very important to have that time. And uh, so, for example, uh, I work with people who lost children, who lost spouses, who uh, been through a traumatic divorce, cheating husband, cheating wife, um, work with people who lost multiple children. I mean, that I worked with... Uh, Big traumas to very small traumas to invisible losses to to things that they never acknowledge. And I always say this: if you are 
just coming out of a major experience and you go into the waiting room. And it's an important place to go to because we do need to rest. I go back in the waiting room quite often, actually. Just I need a day to just not change. I want to be brain dead. I don't want to think. I don't want to go today. I just need to, to wear my pajamas and, and, and do nothing. And that's restful and that's important. As long as I don't stay there for months or a year or two years, then it's okay. Um, so we, when we go into that waiting room space and we are experiencing that processing, the journaling, the talking about it with our friends, writing about it, self-care, taking care of us, really acknowledging what's happening, validating our experience, very important part, people forget to validate. That all can happen in the space between two lives. But what I always ask people is use, be aware that you can journal, you can process, and you can start living again. And the life part in the beginning has to be very, very small, the new life part, the new map. Even if it's saying a new sentence every day. Um, there is, um, I, <laughs> when I was writing the book, I said to uh, myself, people are either going to think I'm crazy, which it, it's partly true, or that I, I created something genius. I split people up in three different parts. The survivor part, the part that's keeping us safe and telling us, take it easy. You just went through this thing. You need to just slow down. You need to protect yourself. You need to, you need to rest. And that survivor self, we love and we care about that survivor self very much. But that, if we stay in that survivor mode and that protective mode, that's when the mapping and the automatic setting, that's when the waiting room becomes larger and that's when we stay there for a long time. Right. There's two other parts of ourselves that we need to activate during our waiting room experience, whether it's a month, two months, three months, four months, whatever it is, we need to be aware of the parts that are called the watcher, that gut experience part, that part of us that knows us the best and we're born with that part. That part gets activated when we journal, when we, when we become aware, when we reflect on our experience without going into a trance way of sharing. Meaning, you know when someone tells you about something that happened to them and then they stare into the ground and they tell, they're transported in that experience? That is, that is re-traumatizing the self. That's going back to that experience and reliving it. The way we, we tell our story is by being present and being aware of ourselves, aware of where we are, aware of why we say what we say, and aware of, of letting go of our feelings and crying and sharing and, and validating our experience. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between sharing, re-traumatizing sharing, and sharing yeah. through a very aware, higher self. And that's the watcher part, the part that watches us, the part that we, we um, activate to watch ourselves and to monitor and record what's going on. Uh -huh. There's a lot of that that is important to take place in order for us to, to meet the dreamer again, the thriver part, the part that is, is the kid, the, the part that, that wants to create again, the part that is outside of the waiting room. Sometimes we open the door and we go out and we plug into a new life, acknowledging the thriver, but we also acknowledge that we need more time to heal and we go back in again. Right. So here's another question I have. I love those three parts, by the way. I don't, th I <laughs> don't think you're crazy. 
Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very comforting in a way. I wonder, like, so a lot of people have, you know, experts of on you know, trauma and, you know, intense transition or transformation will say that there are lessons learned here that yes. we take with us. And how yeah. do you know what to take with you and what's actually just a, another mapping situation that you actually want to get rid of? You have the best questions, by the way. I love them. I, it's a really great question. And, and when, so, so there's people that I know I can help within five minutes and there's people that I could never help. The people who I could never help are people who wrap themselves around the identity of that experience. And I know, Chantal, you've met some of those people. I am certain of you, of it, right? You've met people who are identifying with the job loss or the breakup or sure. the financial loss, uh, sure. and they, they get um, not attention from that experience, but they, they cannot re- detach themselves from it. With those folks, if we were to look at their life before that experience, we would actually find their similar experiences before that. We would find that their personality is like that more than it is um, a thriver personality, personality that knows uh, that it's time to move, knows that it's time to, to have a break from that um, loss or experience a trauma identity. And I believe that by becoming aware of ourselves when we are in that place in between will also allow us to say yes to this lesson and no to this one. And it's not, um, like if, if when someone says to me, so what did you learn from, you know, losing your husband or losing a child or oh, I had a boyfriend who cheated on me for five years and I had no idea before I met my husband. And um, that was my first real experience of loss. And what did I learn from this? And, I can say that um, grief and loss is our evolutionary um, human advantage. We have been given um, grief in our life so we can change and evolve. And without that, we wouldn't be who we are today. What I ask people to do is when they go through their death, their meaning their complete destruction of self, my whole self was destroyed. Um, if I was to look for parts of me that were there before and whether they're there, here now, I would find it really hard to find those parts. As the Christina of, of uh, 2006 uh, with the Christina of 2014 are two very uh, different women. And if my husband was to come, uh, I always uh, think of that. And, and if he was to come and knock on my door today, I would really have to reintroduce myself to him. And we would have to start from the beginning. Um it's not necessarily lessons that we learn, but we need to know which parts we leave behind and which parts we take with us, if any. We need to say yes to something that um, is close to us and we need it for a while. And when people go back in dating, I always say, don't look for Mr. Right. Look for Mr. Right now because you will get to change so much. I was on television on Valentine's Day a couple of years ago saying this and thinking, oh, my God, they're going to come after me. <laughs> but they didn't. <laughs> and, and I really believe that. And it's the same for uh, the right project, uh, the right project right now, the right job right now. And when you're in the waiting room, if you're aware of that, you know that this can change. This relationship might not be the right one later on. Um, looking for Mr. Right. 
when you're in the waiting room, I will not serve you or that person or your future. It's, it's about who you need right now and what you need to have right now. Um, these are the lessons for me that I've taken along the way. Yeah. One of the things that you said I thought was very interesting just as it relates to my personal life, and I've heard this mm-hmm. a lot just in my background working in content around transformation and meeting a lot of a spiritual lot of- teachers and yes, you know, through suffering or, you know, things like depression or loss or grief or gateways um, and yes. that they do totally deconstruct us and deconstruct the ego and it's a, it is a sort of a second birth. But my question is, I wonder if we can experience real transformation mm-hmm. without that, without the yes. grief. I'm not saying necessarily without the deconstruction, but is there a way to get to that place? I have not had a lot of grief or loss in my life. In fact, I've really not, you know, I mean, I, it's either I have and I've not allowed myself to experience it. This is a nuance. Um, and I may yes. be raising my hand for that one. Um, but, you know, relative to some of these other, um, you know, Eckhart Tolle was intensely depressed. And, yes. you know, just the, just yes. the history of people who have had a lot of, um, you know, spiritual transformation have used the suffering as a gateway. And I just wonder if that is the only way. Yeah, so that's, a, like I said, you have the best questions. And I love this question. I can Thank see you. this question being, being asked of me, especially in the future when, when I come out saying that everyone is stuck and, and in between two lives if they're experiencing this. So I am here to redefine the word grief and loss and give it a new definition because I believe there's nobody on this earth that is standing on two feet and is over one year old, even zero. I mean, we are born and experience loss the moment our mother is not there, or we experience loss seeing the light when we've been in the dark. So loss is something that happens every single day. But our culture and society in the Western world, and, and, you know, I was talking to Eric, my husband today and I was telling him I was writing this book and I was talking about uh, Western world and he said why don't you want to talk about the whole world and I now want to say that if I can help change the way we look at loss in the Western world then that's more than enough for me I am I don't I'm not the expert of loss in other cultures because I think they have different ways of dealing with it but grief and loss does not come in the face of tragedy, in the face of um, divorce, or in the face of losing a spouse, a parent. A, a, it comes in the face, in the mask of rejection. I was, and I'm going to share, I am not share this with anyone and anywhere yet, because I really believe in having experiences. I need time to reflect and be in the waiting room with that. But I was rejected um at uh, some kind of event or function um, or for a social gathering, I mm-hmm. was rejected. Um, and the loss I experienced in that moment and what happened to me in the next two hours took my breath away. Mm. And for me, that was loss and that was suffering for whatever mm. reasons. And we, and we don't have to go into those, um, but I felt something. And that suffering of two hours and that rejection experience that I, I had, that I know a lot of women experience in yeah. social settings, no matter your level, no matter how high you climb to use these words, right? No matter whether you're standing next to Obama or the president of the United States, it doesn't matter where you are. You will experience rejection. Yeah. And rejection, rejection is loss. It is grief. 
because they're rejecting you and you're losing that sense of identity. And what happened afterwards, after that experience of suffering that I had, because I was able to call it loss and suffering, I emerged. And I want to, I love your word, by the way, emerging. I love it. Oh. I emerged on the other side and took action. I did stay in the weight room for, I would say, two and a half to three days. This was a smaller loss. And I emerged on the other side, taking action and making um, my life different because of it. In small ways, but I changed because of it. So if someone is listening and and asking, but I haven't had this, you know, I wasn't raped. I wasn't abused. My husband didn't leave me. My husband didn't die. I want to tell you that there are portals. Every single day, Uh because we do experience rejection, abandonment, and and loss of identity in many different ways, if we become aware of them and we validate them for ourselves, we are able to leave them, get real with them, and then walk out in in a new way. And and, and if I'm here for how many years I'm going to be here still on this planet, I know that at the end of it, I, I know people will say, she took the word grief and gave it to us in a new way, in a new dimension. And I am here to change the way we live life after loss, any kind of loss, Uh and to redefine what loss is for all of us. Because every single person I've ever met and ever shared a few words with have experienced rejections from a dinner party, rejections from a friend, from a birthday party, at high school, bullied. I mean, the list goes on and on. And and sorry, I'm so passionate about this, <laughs> but I really am because we have a portal sitting right next to us mm-hmm. and we don't know it's there. I we don't know that this, this rejection happened for a reason. We have no idea. Yeah. I, I love the portal concept. I'm going to yes. take that one. This feels like a portal. Do, yes. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, um, you know, and, and the new people who are listening, I'm not going to go into this story, but. My portal took place um, in a very known, grand way. The portals that are around us are not portals with like, oh, I was divorced and now I'm going to get through the other side. Oh, I lost my husband. They're small portals. Um, Mine came when I was chasing down the mailman um, after he wouldn't deliver my mail for a whole week because there was so much snow outside of my house and he didn't think I shoveled enough. And I chased him down with my pajamas five blocks. And I got him and I stepped into a portal in that moment in time when I stopped looking at myself as a victim, as a widow, as a person who, you know, lost so much. And I said, the hell with it. I am going after my, my Christmas cards and I'm going to get them. And it doesn't, I don't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter that I'm on, on food and he's in a car. Somehow we'll get to that car. And it's a funny story and I tell it and people laugh and cry at the same time. But I really believe healing, transformation, reinvention, rebirth, re-entry, use my word, re-emergence comes from the portals that happen after a rejection, after an abandonment for five minutes, after someone not really seeing us when we stand in front of us. That's when they happen. That's my definition of love. Yeah. So wonderful. (laughs) I, I love it. I just, you know, what's, 
I, I love the fact that, you know, you're talking about this conceptually, but you're actually, you have a lot of practices and yes. you're looking at the science of this as well. And I, I know you, yes. um, the field is, I think, technically the science of neuroplasticity. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So how, practically speaking, what are some of the things that we can do? And maybe we can just use the, the remaining time for this. Yes. When we okay, we've recognized we're in the waiting room. We realize what's keeping us stuck there. You know, through that the watcher, we've spent some time with our watcher self and what is it that we can do to remap? You know, I know it's not something, you know, just coloring our hair is not going to be enough. There is there, no, is there something right. more that we can do or even just one or two exercises that that can get us over that hump or through the portal, out of the black hole and through the portal? <laughs> you know, I, I um, first of all, for the people, just to give a little bit of history, um, after um, three or four years after my loss, I realized that my education on grief and education in general therapy was absolutely not enough for me to help others. Um, I knew that everything I was ever taught was just not... Uh, it didn't match my personality and didn't uh, didn't get me from where I was to where I needed to go. Just um, saying that I had uh, experienced anger or denial, you know, the stages of, of bereavement didn't, I mean, so what? Okay, that's great. But yes, I was very angry. I denied my loss a lot of the time. But, but how do I move forward? So I went and studied... Um, neuroscience coaching for about a year and I spent a lot of time thinking and reading and at first all those books and all those right, really big words didn't mean anything but once I started putting them into action I realized that they could change people's lives and they could change the way we do this and I was doing an NPR interview and one of the NPR interviews said to me the interviewer said to me so are you saying that when we experience loss we exit our lives and I was a little surprised when he said that because I never thought of it like this, but, but reentry means that we have exited life, whatever life that we had before the experience, and we need to reenter not the same life, but a new life based on the identity. So the very first step, if anyone who's listening, whatever your experience you have, also do not underestimate your experience, and I hope... Some of the things we talked about today um, help you acknowledge that a rejection or abandonment um, or invisible loss is substantial. You need to get real. And, and I call this step uh, get real is because we are, we are completely in automatic mode. We, we are not aware of what happened to us and that it was loss. And getting real, um, there's an exercise that I call uh, grief cleanse. It's about asking your grief and asking if you do call it grief or you call it rejection, ask that experience, what does it need to tell you? We utilize the watcher part of us. We utilize the, that gut feeling, that awareness we've always had. And, and you know, people who want to speak, who have, who have a message but are not aware of it, I always say there is a voice inside of you that has been silenced not only through our cultural conditioning, but through the many losses everyone has experienced. And it goes quieter and quieter and quieter. We need to start listening to that voice. We need to start paying attention to what it has to say. And there's an exercise in the book called The Grief Plans. 
and it, it takes place for a whole week where in the beginning, I'm going to say this, people feel worse because there's things they never knew about themselves. People buy the book and tell me I bought the book for this and I did this plans and I realized I was mourning and grieving this. Mm. And that's a huge aha moment. So at first, yeah. we need to tell ourselves the truth. The truth. <laughs> yeah. uh, through, through, through those exercises and, and, and activate that watcher and activate that voice and start listening to it. Yeah. And there's many, many others. <laughs> I mean, there's so yeah, many there things. are many others, but that's, um, you know, I think that getting out of that trauma identity that's when we said we were in the waiting room i think you put some time you put a time on it you said two months you know and you need to start activating your survivor and your thriver parts you can't just stay i mean not the even for just a long Chantel. even just uh, and I, I was uh when i coach um people who have had severe trauma um uh, and you know i, I would in the beginning, I, I just want to hear the story and whatever, whatever, in whatever form it comes, whether it's re-traumatizing them, sharing, like I, I just want to hear it because in, that story is, it, it, it's loud yeah. and it needs validation, it needs acknowledgement. And then even with the worst traumas, the worst, like you can imagine, a tragic experience, at the end of my time, I... <laughs> would acknowledge that life is still in there somewhere. And yeah. I'll tell you, Chantel, when it, you, I, I wish you could see how the face, the body changes and shifts, even in those early stages of trauma, when I just plug in a question about living, even just one question, you see the body getting standing up more, eye contact takes place. Yeah. And I bring the person back to a living, even for five minutes. That's all. I'm not saying don't stay in the waiting room. I'm not saying saying you're, you sure. don't need time to, to reflect, but just be aware that even for a minute a day or five minutes a day, you will consciously take a step to emerge out of that waiting room, even just to see the light for a minute and back again. Right. Wow. Um. And, and we can talk forever. <laughs> we could talk forever. We could talk forever. I love it. Um, one of the things that I think we should maybe end on is um, yes. our audience is mostly women. And yes. I'm curious to see, and, and you made some reference to a couple of times where women, you know, tend to, um, you know, feel rejection and feel small and different, yes. different grief and losses. And I'm curious to see what trends that you see also on the upswing as um, in women and, and their resilience mm -hmm. in, in particular or courage and as they're emerging out and um, what advice you might have for somebody who is at the beginning of those emerging stages? So I think women, and I'm going to sound, I don't know, I don't even care how I sound or, or how I, I show up because this is my truth and I'm here to share my truth. I believe that women, especially women, know the truth. They know it. They, and then all they need, all they need is someone to witness them mm. sharing that truth. Mm -hmm. And when that witnessing happens, it, so that's why relationships and friends are so vital for women. But the right friends and the right relationships, when, when the friend holds the mirror up 
when when you're you're sharing your voice, that voice that lives inside, and someone is witnessing that voice, that's when we grow. That's when we emerge. And I always talk about the the right inner circle. I, I wrote a blog. I think last week was about finding a new inner circle. The women who are bold enough, and I see many of them, who um, are okay to break up with their friends and let go of friendships because they had history, but no um, no identity connection for who they are right now. Yeah. The, these women that are able to let go of those friends and find a new inner circle, they're be, being witnessed faster. The mirror that uh, is in front of them is the, the mirror that can, can he, let you hear your vo- her, their voice and they become leaders immediately in that mm. place moment of that brand new inner circle that's holding that mirror up for them. Um, look for the friends that you don't have to explain who you are. Look for the audience that helps you uh, feel like the expert that you are. The wrong audience will make you feel like you have nothing to say. The right audience will make you feel like the star that you are. And I say this over and over again. When I speak of the the wrong audience, I come out feeling, oh, maybe I'm not meant for this. And it's wrong. It's not you. It's who you're speaking to. Right. Find the right audience and find the right inner circle. And the women who do are the women on top. Perfect. Great advice. Thank you so much, Christina. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it was amazing. Amazing. Thank you. so great. I feel, um, I definitely feel buoyed and um, (laughs) juicy. So thank you for sharing your time and we'll stay in touch. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you.